It's the Tuesday Tout Edition. We'll talk with USA Today Senior Fantasy Editor Steve Gardner next on Baseball HQ Radio. Hello, babe. I'm Lou Gehrig. Listen, Lou, how did you get the stocking home run? It was like this. I watched you and read how much money you were getting, and I got to thinking. Thinking? With what? First. Yes. I mean the fellow's name. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first base. Who? The guy playing first. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell That's me. That's it. That's who? Yes. <laughs> Don. <laughs> hey, Don. Tell Murray about the time you won the game when you slid into home play. Oh, Jagged rather thought of embarrassed. I don't blame you. <laughs> tell me, did they ever find that catcher? <laughs> Those pitchers try to hit you. You play baseball and you got to stay in there because the guy throws a curveball at you. It may break across the plate. And your mind says, stay in there. But your body says, Let's, we got to move. <laughs> baseball is played on a diamond in a park. The baseball park. Football is played on a gridiron in a stadium. War Memorial Stadium. In baseball, you wear a cap. In football, you wear a helmet. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, June the 3rd. It's show number 39 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we'll be talking with USA Today Senior Fantasy Editor Steve Gardner about dealing with injuries, pitcher health, assessing incoming call-ups from the minors, and his studs and duds for the rest of the season. We'll also have these commentaries from the experts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In our Metric Minute, analyst Ryan Bloomfield talks about expected ERA for pitchers. And in the Minor League Minute, a special report by BaseballHQ.com prospects analyst Rob Gordon talking about prospects who might be under the radar in your league, but nonetheless worth a look. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us on the Tuesday Tout Edition of Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. And we open our Tuesday Tout Edition, as always, with our feature expert interview with USA Today Senior Fantasy Editor Steve Gardner. Steve, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you very much, Patrick. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here and talk baseball with you. It's always a pleasure to have you on and good fun, too. Uh, before I get started with the main part of the interview, I always like to ask, how are your expert league teams doing? Well, I'm, I'm sort of middle of the pack. Um, I, uh, in, in labor, I'm in all three, the mixed and AL and NL, and uh, mixed is not doing so good, right? Uh, maybe a little bit below the middle, but I, I think I've got good teams in AL and NL labor. Um, I'm in the fourth place in, in AL and uh, knocking on the door a little bit. Uh, congrats to Dave Adler of Baseball HQ, who's, who's leading the way right now. And um, fourth place again in the NL, um, about five or six points out of first, so that's not so bad. And then uh, NL Top Wars, my team just got Clayton Kershaw and uh, Roldis Chapman back a little bit ago, and we're making a surge. We're up to uh, up to fifth place out of those 12 teams. So, you know, you, you want to just stay within striking distance uh, and, and withstand a lot of the injuries that are going around. And uh, if you can do that and get to September, you know, kind of like the uh, major league teams, you have a shot, you can uh, you can pull something off in the last month. Well, that raises two questions I'd like to ask you about. First, how badly hit have you been by injuries? It seems like everybody's just been ravaged. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I've got Jose Abreu in a lot of my leagues, and uh, with his great start, you know, having him go out and uh, having to find you know seven different replacements <laughs> in all of my teams, you know, that's kind of tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you have guys like you know, Kershaw that you're counting on. He was a, my first pick. In um, in the uh, mixed labor draft and uh, one of the studs on my uh, NL Towers team, and to have to replace somebody like that, obviously the folks that lost Jose Fernandez have it even worse because uh, at least Kershaw has come back. But um, it's 
it's tough. I don't think anybody really has, has been able to get through with uh, unscathed with so many injuries we've had. I, maybe, it just, maybe it just seems like it's worse because it's right now, but uh, it seems to be hitting everybody at every position. If it's hitting everybody, that's uh, it. Probably all evens out in the wash. Uh, you make a, an interesting point about uh, when you get your injuries and how and how they affect you. Would you rather get your injuries early and get them out of the way, or do you want to have them at the end? No, certainly early. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things. Going back to draft strategy, even I like to get a guy who maybe will start the season on the disabled list, just because I know that he will be coming back. Um, he's not out for the year, and the fact that the free agent pool at the beginning of the year is so much more wide open that you can pluck guys that might have you know, uh, a, a small spot in the lineup for a while, and then if they get that playing time, they can leverage it into full-time spots. So um, I, I kind of try to do that in leagues that have the uh, you know, unlimited disabled list especially because those guys, you know, you, you forget about the Jeremy Hellickson's, you know, and people that, that have been on the DL for a while. You know, you get those guys back in midseason, and it's almost like, um, you know, picking up a free agent and not having to pay for them. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Also, I wondered, you said you're hanging around fourth, fifth, even in the middle of the pack. You just want to kind of stay in contact. There's a lot of theorizing going on right now about the idea that, you know, if you're in below fifth spot on April 30th, you have a 20% chance of winning your league. If you're below fifth spot on May 31st, then you have a 5% chance and so on. Uh, do you buy into those kind of ideas or do you think that there's always a chance? In general, I understand where that comes from, and the percentages, yes, are not very good if you're toward the bottom and the season is you know, like it is now, a third over. Um, it makes a lot of sense. However, that doesn't take into consideration each individual circumstance. If you have guys, you know, like, like I do in, uh, in NL Tout Wars, for instance, you know, having Kershaw out a month and having a role as Chapman on the, on the sidelines for a month and getting those guys back, they're only starting to make – um, a, a contribution to your team, and those guys are going to make your team a whole lot better over the remaining two thirds of the season. So, you know, I was floundering around in uh, in eleventh place, tenth place in in top wars, and just jumped up in the last two weeks up to fifth. So, I think it can be done. You can get discouraged if you just look at that as a blanket statement and say, "Oh, gee, I'm in tenth place, and it's already June. Oh, uh, there's no way I can contend." I think uh, you have to look at it and. It depends on your willingness to maybe shake things up, too. You can make some big trades and, and go for broke sometimes and get back into it. That's the way I like to look at it if I'm down. What's your opinion about being a ninth or 10th place team and trading aggressively and working the free agent pool aggressively, but especially trading, to try to move up, say, from 10th to 7th or 10th to 6th and making deals with guys in 1st, 2nd, 3rd that could affect the outcome of the league? There are a lot of players who say that really an also-ran team shouldn't be making deals that affect the outcome of the overall race. Where do you stand on that? I, I understand the uh, the idea behind that, and although I would limit that to maybe the last six weeks or last month of the season, um, because at this point right now, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, the team in first place we had in uh, in mixed uh, labor, in fact, uh, James Quintong's ESPN team was forty points ahead of everybody um, just a few weeks ago. And he's come back to the pack. So I, I don't know that at this point in the season you can say, oh, well, I'm not going to trade with the, the teams toward the top because those teams could be toward the bottom and the teams that you did trade with could be up to the top in, you know, in, a, in a matter of weeks. So, um, but once you get towards the end of the, of the year, um, you get to the trade deadline for, for MLB and, and things sort of tend to – uh, even out a little bit, and you can see who's in the top level and who's in the bottom level. I can understand not trying to be the deciding factor to give somebody, you know, what looks like an, an obvious path to a championship. However, in some leagues, Tout Wars is one of them that have uh, put in rules that uh, depend on where you finish uh, will affect you for next year, whether it's taking uh, fab dollars away from you or putting you down in the reserve draft order. Um, so in that case, you've got to scramble for everything you can get, and especially if you're on that dividing line between getting some uh, demerits for next year and, and being uh, into next season uh, with a clean slate, 
I think you have to make those moves no matter who it's with. Yeah, and I think another uh, aspect of it that's overlooked is what about keeper leagues, of course, the whole the whole idea of dump trading where if you're ninth or 10th, you have another uh, pathway to success in future years, which is to trade off your Miguel Cabreras for cheap prospects, maybe to some of the top guys. The reasons that they're one of the reasons that they're at the top is because they have undervalued players, and if you can swap a, a Miguel Cabrera for two or three of those cheap younger guys, you can set yourself up for future years. And in that case, how can anybody argue with you for doing it? Right, and I think the one thing you have to remember if you're going to do that is just to let everybody know that you're in sell mode. So that if you make a deal with somebody that's in second place, the first place team can't say, oh, wait, how come you made a deal with him when you know, that person knew that you had an opportunity to talk to everybody? Uh, I think that's the important thing is just to let everybody know that you're ready to make a deal and, and uh, you know, come and get it. On the other hand, you can do that, and uh, now we're starting to see uh, leagues that are imposing that rule or requiring a general email, I'm in trade mode, then the guy deals with the second-place team, and the first-place team says, I offered him better than that, and then it becomes some kind of exercise in uh, you know, substituting the judgment of the collective for the judgment of the guy who made the deal for, for good or ill. I, this is a reason, Steve, that I don't like playing in leagues that have keeper trading. I prefer redraft leagues in general. But if you're in a keeper league, the my AL only that I play in, we have a rule that any player traded becomes a free agent at the end of the year. So there are no keepers. It's all this year for this year, and it certainly eliminates a lot of that wrangling. Although there's also the wrangling of, I offered him Max, Scher- Max Scherzer, and, and, and he took uh, Clayton Kershaw, you know, and stuff like that. And there's really no squaring it if when it comes down to trading, especially that if a tr- if you make a trade with me and it affects guy number three, guy number three is going to be irked no matter how you explain it. Exactly, and that's when it's no fun being the commissioner and trying to sort through all of that and uh, keep everybody happy. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Steve Gardner, Senior Fantasy Editor at USA Today and usatoday.com. And Steve, you mentioned the injuries your teams have suffered, and in a recent column at USA Today, you offered some fantasy strategies for dealing with major injuries. Uh, so far, I've tried tearing my hair out and cursing very badly, and it hasn't helped me a bit, so give me some of your ideas. Well, those are the first two on my list, um, so at least you've tried that. Um, I, I think the, there are several different ways. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, if your team is, has some injured guys that are coming back, then it's easy enough to go ahead and just say, all right, those guys are coming back. They're going to make my team stronger. I still have a competitive team. Um, and I sort of likened it to what some of the teams in the majors are doing right now. See, the, the Miami Marlins losing, losing Jose Fernandez they're not going to go out and do a whole lot because they've got a pretty decent collection of, of arms on the farm, and they've been getting some, some good performances from the, you know, the likes of Tom Kohler and, and Nathan Eovaldi. So they can kind of, kind of stay put and, and, and stay the course. Um, the other thing is you could do like perhaps the Boston Red Sox in going out, getting a free agent in Stephen Drew, and improving incrementally um, because you know, although Will Middlebrooks is not a huge loss to them, the way that uh, he's been playing so far this season, you know, just picking up uh, opportunities along the way to gradually get better. And I think most fantasy teams take that approach just because uh, you don't want to shake things up too much, but there are, also, there are always ways each week through the free agent process to maybe take the weakest link off your team and get somebody that's just a little bit better. Um, the other option is to go big or go home, and, and, and that was – kind of like what I think the Texas Rangers could be in mode for because losing Prince Fielder, you know, that's a major injury to them. And there are lots of options for them. Number one, they could possibly go out and get Kendrys Morales. Um, they're talk about maybe having another trade, you know, making a big blockbuster. They've got a pretty stocked farm system. So I know fantasy owners, especially those in keeper leagues, that have uh, good prospects down on the farm that they're not using so far this season, you know, might want to go ahead and trade some of those guys, cash those chips in, and get somebody big, um, or go in the opposite direction and say, "Oh, gee, this is too much for me." Maybe sell this year's team off, you know, sell the parts that are, are very valuable to uh, owners this season, and try and start the uh, rebuilding process a little bit earlier. So, a lot of different approaches. It, it just depends on where you are in the standings, I think, and and how big the losses are for you. 
You mentioned that the Rangers were looking at Kendris Morales. They announced, uh, at least officially, that they were not interested in Morales to fill the gap caused by Fielder's uh, season-ending injury. But you wrote that you think they're going to change their tune about that idea after the amateur draft because then signing Morales no longer cost them a draft pick. You wrote that a few weeks ago. How likely do you think it is now that Morales will, in fact, end up being a Texas Ranger? Well, I think, number one, um, most people figured that once Fielder was gone, that the Rangers, you know, they're struggling in the AL West, that they just go into, ah, we can't compete anymore mode, and and not go out and try and, and fill that hole with, with Morales, who's you know really the only free agent still out there on the market who can make a huge difference. Uh, but what's happened is, since Fielder's gone down, and Fielder really hasn't been performing that well in the first place, but the Rangers have kind of gone on a little winning streak now. You know, they, they won a series with the Tigers um, and have been playing much better. Actually, the offense has been scoring runs, which they hadn't done for most of the season. And now I think it's a little bit more likely than it was even when Fielder went down that they'll be uh, in the Kendrys Morales sweepstakes. I know that, that John Daniels, their GM, did say, uh, we have no interest in, and have not talked to, uh, about Kendrys Morales or talked to him. Well, of course, they're not going to do that right now because of the draft pick penalty that any team had, would, would get if they signed uh, Morales before the draft started. I think once the draft passes, then they'll be plenty interested, and especially if they keep winning. The only thing is, is that there are other teams that are also probably going to get into the bidding uh, once that draft passes, too. The New York Yankees have been mentioned recently as a team that could certainly use a switch-hitting first baseman DH kind of player with Carlos Beltran uh, dinged up a little bit, Mark Teixeira not 100%. Uh, You could see Morales fitting into that lineup pretty easily. And and also the Milwaukee Brewers who've been getting some production from Mark Reynolds but not a lot of uh, on the batting average side. And so Morales could possibly get in there. The only drawback, of course, going to a National League team is that he'll have to actually play the field which is something he has, has not done for a while and is not too adept at doing when he has been in there. So uh, I think there will be lots of activity surrounding him, and uh, it kind of surprised me that Stephen Drew went ahead and signed with the Red Sox before the draft because it seemed like that if he'd waited a couple more weeks, you know, he might have had uh, a handful of other suitors at his door. I'm not uh, going to say this is going to happen, but I think that if Texas opts out, if they decide they're not going to improve their team and they're going to basically go for a rebuilding strategy, I wouldn't be surprised to see Seattle back in on Morales, and they don't have to pay the draft pick penalty, of course, because he's their free agent. And uh, Seattle all of a sudden becomes a bit of a player in the AL West if Texas is out. Uh, the, the Oakland A's look obviously like the strongest, but there's nobody else in the division that really jumps up and says, hey, I'm going to run away and take this thing. Seattle could easily be in the running for a wild card. They've got good pitching. Well, that's true, and, you know, Robinson Cano really hasn't hit his stride either. Um, but, you know, there, there is a, a little factor there that, that we kind of overlook, and that's the, uh, that's the Angels, who have one of the better records in all of baseball, great run differential, and a team that, you know, if you've got Albert Pools and you've got Mike Trout, um, you could be in it for, for the long haul as well. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, you don't want to overlook the Angels in all of that mix either. Of course, Morales signing is one of the few uh, instances in a mixed league where somebody can come in from outside the league and have a potential pretty serious effect on how things work out. In only leagues, however, there's always the possibility of players being traded from one league into the other, and it's a source of new stats. And I'm wondering, um, looking at the Kendris Morales example, but going to players who might get traded in or out of a league, who do you think are the top three or four players that might switch leagues by the trading deadline, which comes up, I think, in four or five weeks? Well, it's hard to know uh, who might go across the, uh, the ALNL lines, but we can look at the guys who are possibly on the trading block. And I think when you start doing that, it begins and ends with, with Jeff Samarja at the Cubs. And, and because he's been so good and his, his losing record, you know, finally getting a win after what was it, 16, 18 starts over the course of uh, uh, going back to last year. Um, uh, he has to be one of the guys that you would think would be uh, on the trade block and that teams would love to have him. And if he goes to an AL team, for instance, 
Um, and there's been talk about, you know, maybe the Blue Jays could use him. Um, something like that, that kind of a trade would be huge for fantasy owners in AL-only leagues. So I would think that, um, you know, maybe you mentioned uh, the Angels could be in the market for an arm. The Blue Jays certainly could be in the market for an arm. So uh, Samarja would be A number one on my list. But look at some of the other guys. I mean, some of the other teams, um, San Diego, Arizona over in the National League West, not doing so well, probably don't have any hope of getting to the playoffs. Uh, maybe some of their pitchers, uh, an Ian Kennedy, for instance, or, or maybe a Brandon McCarthy, one of those guys. Maybe not the big impact that Samarja would make, but you know, you get a decent major league starter coming over, and uh, that would cause quite a bit of uh, feeding frenzy over in AL-only leagues. I think you're right about that, and, and when people look at a guy like Ian Kennedy, who's a, he's an okay pitcher, Brandon McCarthy's had a, a good year so far, but they're still not, uh, they're not Samarja quality. Certainly it's not like Clayton Kershaw's changing sides. But what people have to keep in mind is if you're in position to be the guy who gets an Ian Kennedy or a Brandon McCarthy coming over, he's replacing the worst pitcher on your roster. And so he doesn't have to be great because he's already significantly better than what the player you're going to drop is. And that is the kind of thing that does have an effect, especially on the ratio categories when you're talking about pitching. In another recent column at USA Today, Steve, you discussed the effects of organizational decisions on the fantasy value of top prospects. Give us uh, some of the examples you used. Well, I think uh, it's easy to look at Gregory Polanco and uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates and say, you know, what are they waiting for? Because they have a void out there in right field where they're not getting a whole lot of production. Polanco is tearing it up in, in AAA, doesn't have a whole lot more to prove there, but we're still beyond the uh, Super 2 deadline, which will come up sometime in, in mid-June. It's no, uh, no exact date is known quite yet, but I think the teams have a very good idea of when that's going to be. And the Pirates, uh, the only reason you can think of that the Pirates are keeping him down um, is because of that Super 2 deadline. So I think that's, that's one of the things that, that fantasy owners you know, get really, really impatient with in that, uh, you know, when guys that can help the team are, are being kept down in the minor league. So that's, that's kind of one of the biggest um, uh, instances of that uh, in terms of, of a team keeping them down. The other thing, too, is that, um, you know, you might get a situation like with the Rangers where just injuries have depleted everybody that they have, uh, and they have to go down and get some of those guys. Uh, Rudnet Odor, the second baseman who they called up not, uh, not too long ago, is an example of that, where you know, the Rangers lost Jerickson and Profar, and, and where they did have what looked like a, uh, a glut of middle infielders or a surplus that enabled them to trade Ian Kinsler in the offseason, now they have to dig deep into that and bring Odor up, and they called him up from double-A. And, um, and he's now starting most days there in, in Texas. So um, it just it depends on the organizations. You know, the Chicago Cubs, for instance, have a, a heck of a lot of good top prospects in you know, third baseman Chris Bryant, shortstop Javier Baez down in the minor leagues. But, you know, they're not, contri- are not contending right now, and they have no need to pull those guys up. So if you have one of those, one of those Cubs on your, uh, on your farm roster or uh, sitting on your bench, um, that you drafted, you know, back in March, hoping that he'd get a shot to play. You're going to have to wait a little bit longer, just because the Cubs have no reason to call those guys up uh, until later on in the season. Well, of course, many fantasy leagues don't allow you to call up or to uh, free agent sign a prospect until he's in the major leagues, but some leagues do allow it. Tote Wars, for instance, allows you to draft anybody you like as long as you're willing to carry him on your active roster for a week before you reserve him. So in leagues where they allow you to make those kind of preemptive prospect acquisitions, uh, what prospects do you think uh, that fantasy owners in such leagues should be looking at because of their potential to reach the majors relatively soon and to do relatively well, I think the uh, the number one uh, number one prospect on that list is Oscar Tavares right now for the Cardinals, um, who has been highly touted for a couple years now, slowed by injuries last season, so uh, it's made his descent a little bit uh, more delay or his ascent a little bit more delayed. But the Cardinals are right around the the corner from a string of. I think seven consecutive games against AL teams in AL parks. 
and uh, General Manager John Mozalak said not too long ago that you know when you have the DH in the lineup, the Cardinals are going to need some more offense, and they have not been producing as a whole on offense this year. Tavares is the elixir to that, I think, in, in a big way. And so I would look for Oscar Tavares. He would be number one on my list. And, uh, and number two would probably be Jonathan Singleton of, of the Houston Astros, who's a first baseman who's tearing it up in AAA. And uh, along the same lines, we've seen the Astros call up George Springer and what great results we've, uh, we've gotten out of him. Uh, it would not surprise me for the Astros to go ahead and uh, and call up Singleton before too long because they haven't been getting any production out of their first base slot, and uh, he could certainly provide that. Oh, and one other guy, too, would be uh, the Miami Marlins pitcher Andrew Heaney. Who, uh, the Marlins, we, we were talking about earlier, the fact that they have uh, a lot of good young arms in their system and uh, the loss of Jose Fernandez. You bring Heaney up there, uh, he could, he's been uh, very successful so far in the minor leagues this season, got a nice track record. He could be the next guy in that Marlins rotation to step in. The Braves, uh, speaking of prospects, called up Tommy Lastella to play second base after the disappointment of Dan Ugla and guys of that ilk. And you wrote about Lastella. So what's your take on the move from the fantasy perspective? Well, first of all, the Braves needed, as you said, needed to get something out of that second base spot, and, and they had the worst production uh, from their second baseman of any team in the major leagues. Listella is a guy that, you know, he's, he's kind of a scrappy, he's an on-base kind of uh, specialist. Um, he does a great job of getting on base, getting around to score runs, and I think that's part of been what's missing with the Braves' offense is just people to get on ahead of Freddie Freeman and Justin Upton. Um, so in that respect, I think Listella is probably a better player in real life than he is for fantasy because he doesn't have a whole lot of power, only 21 home runs in his entire minor league career that spans four seasons, um, and he doesn't steal a lot of bases either. So in, in that regard, um, he doesn't really produce in the categories that we as fantasy owners are looking for. So while, yes, uh, there's somebody else new out on the uh, free agent wire you can go ahead and pick up, he'll only, I think, will be able to contribute in maybe batting average and runs scored, and that depends on where the Braves decide to bat him. You know, They put him down at the bottom of the order when he came up. I don't think that's uh, going to last because they need his on-base skills closer to the top of the order, and if they could put him, say, you know, lead off or number two, somewhere in there with, uh, with Jason Hayward, then you can move B.J. Upton down to where he really belongs, and that's, uh, that's further down in the lineup. Fantasy experts have been telling owners that they should recalibrate their risk estimates about pitchers. The combination of decreasing pitcher injury rates and increasing batter injury rates made pitchers less relatively risky than we thought. And so we were seeing Clayton Kershaw going fifth or sixth overall. We were seeing Jose Fernandez and Chris Sale and Max Scherzer in the top two rounds. But this year, once again, the pitchers have been hitting the DL, if not the operating room, with depressing frequency. And I'm wondering, Steve, how should we as fantasy owners react to this seeming eruption of pitcher injury as regards our assessment of pitcher risk? Well, I, until we can figure out what is the, uh, the common thread, you know, and there's, there's been some research about um, you know, whether it's throwing sliders too much or whether it's um, uh, two velocity, you know, the guys that throw the, the hardest, or whether it's the difference between your maximum velocity and your average velocity. That was something that just came out um, in USA Today this week. I, I, I don't know. Until we can figure out something that, that, uh, that gives us a better-than-average guess at which, pl- which pitchers are going to go down, you're just going to have to continue. You know, pitching is still half of the categories in standard rotisserie baseball. So you're still going to have to draft pitchers, and I think you're still going to just have to cross your fingers. Uh, <laughs> and in that regard, look at guys, even guys that have great health history. As you mentioned, you know, Clayton Kershaw had not missed a start in his entire major league career before going on the DL after, uh, after one start this year. Um, it's really hard to figure out exactly where to go. And I think the idea is just to hit it with depth. You can never have too much pitching. So um, don't spend everything on one. You know, don't, don't go, uh, go hog wild and, and, and go for aces right off the bat because if one of them gets hurt, it puts you in a bind. But to go ahead and stockpile as many as you can in the later rounds and, uh, and just 
play the numbers game because you know that some of them are going to get hurt. You just need to find guys with the right skills. You know, look for the, the strikeout-to-walk ratios and, and uh, strikeout percentages, that type of thing, to where when you have to plug those guys in, they can at least do the job fairly well for you. Well said. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Steve Gardner, Senior Fantasy Editor at USA Today and usatoday.com. And Steve, now that the season is well underway, I'm asking our experts here on the Tuesday Tout edition of Baseball HQ Radio to give us their studs and duds for the balance of the year. Studs being players you'd like to acquire via buy low trade or free agent acquisition or somehow finagle onto your roster. And the duds being players you'd like to sell high or generally avoid. So let's start with the hitters in the American League. Who's a stud that you'd like to add to Steve Gardner's roster? Well, I'm looking at you know, a guy that I like is uh, is Cole Calhoun of the Angels. And um, he's not getting a whole lot, you know, doing a little platooning right now. Um, but at the beginning of the year, it, it looked like he was going to be the Angels' leadoff man. I think he fits best in that role for the Angels. And so therefore, you know, as he's working his way back from an injury, um, I think he's a guy that has a lot of upside in terms of you know anybody that's hitting in front of Mike Trout, hitting in front of Albert Pujols, and possibly you know Josh Hamilton's due back. Uh, I believe you know in another week or two. That's a pretty potent Angels lineup. So uh, if you're looking for maybe a guy who who has a little bit of helium uh, for the rest of the season uh, in the American League, I'd look at, at maybe Cole Calhoun of the Angels. And before we go on, uh, how do you like Josh Hamilton's chances of being an effective player, and how willing would you be to add him to your roster? You know, if, if I were in, um, in the lower half of the standings and needed somebody to give my team a, a big boost with that, you know, that high-risk, high-reward kind of uh, player, Hamilton would be one of the first guys I'd target, uh, just because the fact that um, you know, he was off to a very, very good start. And with him, it's all about getting good pitches to hit and, and good play discipline. I think he was showing a lot of good signs with that uh, in the beginning of the season until he got hurt. And um, so in that regard, yeah, I think I, think I might be a, a buyer on Josh Hamilton. Returning to studs and duds, how about a National League hitter who's a stud for you? A guy uh, I keep waiting for him to kick it in is, is Jason Hayward of the Braves. And um, again, it seems like a lot of people have been disappointed possibly you know, with him for his entire career and possibly because the expectations were so high for Hayward. And um, maybe that's the, the thing. You look at his actual stats and what he's actually doing, it's not that bad. <laughs> and if, say, Tommy Listella comes in, provides a good leadoff man and, and allows Hayward to move into the number two spot, which I think is ideal for him, you know, more RBI opportunities, more chances to, to steal, closer to the, the middle of the order um, um, and, and run production type uh, situation. So I think Hayward is a guy that, um, that does have a significant amount of upside going forward and, and a guy who could really put together, you know, some uh, big numbers in terms of, of uh, being one of the top outfielders in the game. On the dud side, how about an American League hitter you don't want any part of? Well, I don't know about uh, don't want any part of, but um, Jacoby Ellsbury has been, I, I think we've, we've even talked about him uh, earlier this season, Patrick, and the fact that you know, he's not the, the all-encompassing five-category player that I think a lot of people have, have asked uh, or have asked him to be where they drafted him. Um, he's still getting the steals, but not producing a whole lot. I, uh, the Yankees' offense is disappointing again to me this season. Um, I still, if you talk about you don't want any part of him, uh, if you uh, talk about his trade value and what it would take to acquire him, I'm definitely staying away. And in the National League, who's a hitter you might not want any part of, but you don't want the biggest part of? Well, <laughs> I think one of the guys that um, I think is overachieved, we'll put it that way, this season is Casey McGee in, in Miami. And the, the fact that, that he's been able to hit behind Giancarlo Stanton and, and be very productive, um, it's just he's not hitting with a whole lot of power, and, and, and he's hitting in good, uh, you know, his, his batting average on balls in play is, is a lot higher than it should be. Um, I, I think he's going to wear down toward the end of the season. And the Marlins' offense has been so good, um, I think they're overachieving as well. And although Stanton, I think, will get, um, get his stats all the way through the season, um, McGee, I think, if you've been depending on him, 
might be a good chance to try and, and sell high if you can find a buyer. So for Steve Gardner, the stud hitters, Cole Calhoun of the Angels, Jason Hayward of the Braves, the duds are Jacoby Ellsbury of the Yankees and Casey McGee of the Miami Marlins. Let's move to the mound and get Steve Gardner's pitcher, studs and duds. Let's start in the American League with a pitcher stud you'd like to add. I would like to add right now, I would like to add Chris Archer of, of Tampa Bay. You know, he's he came into the, uh, into the season after a, a fine year last year, um, a lot of promise, uh, a couple of shutouts, and, and he looked dominant in those. This year, he started slowly, but um, last couple of, of outings, he started to be the Chris Archer that I think uh, we've looked forward to seeing on a regular basis. Um, against the Red Sox, a, while, a couple starts back, you know, struck out 11 Red Sox in six innings, uh, six shutout innings, in fact. And I, I think Archer is one of those guys, you know, good defense behind him, good home ballpark. Uh, we should see a little bit more from Archer going through that uh, going forward that um, I think we've been looking forward to and is is not shown up in his ERA and uh, you know which is at four right now and his WHIP which is close to one point five. In the National League, who's a pitcher you'd like to keep your eye on and add to your roster? I think um, Homer Bailey of of the Cincinnati Reds, uh, another guy that we had very high hopes for going in. You know, uptick in velocity last season, uptick in strikeout rates. He's been hurt by the by the home run ball and um, the his home run to fly ball rate of seventeen point five percent this season has uh, is a lot higher than than it should be, and I think that will regress back closer to you know that ten percent mark if he's cutting his home runs almost in half, Homer Bailey is, is a much better pitcher and, and I think is one guy that we definitely should should keep our eye on going forward. Yeah, I keep waiting for somebody in any league to offer him to me on some kind of discounted basis, but it seems like everybody knows that, it, that better times are coming, unfortunately. How about a, the Duds, uh, an American League pitcher that you're going to avoid adding to your roster? You know, we talked about the Angels and their pitching. They've gotten some great work from Garrett Richards, and I think a guy who probably went undrafted in most leagues, um, a great free agent pickup, and, and has been excellent for them. But talk about the home run to fly ball rate. His home run to fly ball rate is 1.9%, best in the majors. And um, you can't, even though Angels Stadium is a, a pitcher-friendly park, you can't keep going through uh, an entire season with the rate that low. So I think he's due for some regression. And the fact, too, you know, we talk about guys that throw very, very hard, and you know, is that a, a, an indicator for possible injury later on down the line? Um, Richards is one of the hardest-throwing starters in all of baseball, and that may, you know, that may be a bit of a concern as well if he's throwing that hard and is that lucky um, that uh, some things – that we may not want to see over the second half could actually come true, and uh, I won't I won't say any uh, you know any surgery name or anything like that. But uh, you know that there are going to be more Tommy John surgery cases over the second half of the season, um, and, and I hope he's not one of them. And finally, how about a pitcher in the National League who's a dud you don't want to add to your roster? I, you know, Patrick, I keep going back to Cincinnati and Alfredo Simone, who has been has been so good this season, and. Um, it's, it's a bit of a question now when Matt Latos comes back to the Reds if Tony Singrani is going to be booted from the starting rotation because Alfredo Simone has been so good or you know they find a way to keep Singrani in there and uh, you know what happens. I think Simone has been very, very fortunate this season. I think that's been part of the reason why his numbers have been so good. You look at the 86% strand rate that he has, uh, you know, one of the highest of any starting pitchers in all of baseball, and you have to think, hmm, you know, he's been a little bit lucky in, in his uh, start so far. That's going to uh, probably regress a little bit, and we'll get to see the true Alfredo Simone that is, you know, has been a journeyman major league pitcher throughout his entire career. Yeah, I was going to say, when you look up journeyman pitcher in uh, the glossary of baseball terms, his picture should be there because he's really been the absolute prototype of a journeyman. And while you've got to be happy for him and his success so far, it just doesn't seem sustainable, especially, as you mentioned, when the Reds are going to have options when their rotation returns uh, back to normal. So uh, Steve Gardner's pitching studs, Chris Archer, of the Tampa Bay Rays, Homer Bailey of the Reds, and uh, his duds, Garrett Richards of the Los Angeles Angels, and Alfredo Simon of Cincinnati. Uh, Steve, tell us where listeners can read more from Steve Gardner. 
Certainly. You can go to usatoday.com, and our fantasy baseball page is fantasybaseball.usatoday.com. You can check me out on Twitter. I'm at Steve A. Gardner, and um, you can check me out on on Facebook, too, for that matter. Uh, I'll throw out my my columns and and various thoughts uh, on Facebook as well, Steve Gardner. So uh, any number of places, you ought to be able to find me. Steve, thanks very much for doing this. We'll catch up with you again before the end of the season. Sounds great. You're welcome, Patrick. Uh, Thank you for having me. Steve Gardner is the Senior Fantasy Editor at USA Today and usatoday.com. Our HQ commentaries are next, the Metric Minute and Minor League Minute coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Playing fantasy baseball is about having fun, so have more fun more often with One Month Fantasy Games at ChandlerPark.com. One Month Games offer the best of both worlds, the fast action and excitement of daily games with the strategy and tactics of full-season formats. You draft your team using set salaries, all based on player performance. Then you set your roster twice a week, playing matchups in hot hand. Best of all, one bad month doesn't sink your whole season. And a fast start puts you in the money that much quicker. More fantasy fun, more often, with one month fantasy games at ChandlerPark.com. I'd like to do something called baseball and football, because these two things are such a part of our lives, these two activities, and yet they're so different. The object of the game is quite different. The object of the game in football is for the quarterback, otherwise known as the field general, to be on target with his aerial assault, riddling the defense by hitting his receivers with deadly accuracy in spite of the blitz, even if he has to use the shotgun. With short bullet passes and long bombs, he marches his troops into enemy territory, balancing this aerial assault with a sustained ground attack which punches holes in the forward wall of the enemy's defensive line. In baseball, the object is to go home. I'm going home. I'm going home. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Gotta love that George Carlin bit about baseball versus football. The whole thing is just tremendous to listen to. Listen, be sure to check BaseballHQ.com right now and in the coming days for features like Stephen Nickrand's look at May base performance value leaders in his starting pitcher buyer's guide. Todd Zola looks at making end-of-May roster assessments. And Matt Cedarholm's Market Pulse column issues buy, watch, pass, and avoid ratings on Andre Ethier, Mitch Moreland, Ronald Belisario, and others. Plus, we have all our regular analysis of playing times, facts and flukes performance validation, buyer's guides, divisional outlooks, and more. It's fantasy intelligence for winners, and it's only at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our Baseball HQ commentaries. We have Rob Gordon on deck with the Minor League Minute and leading off our Metric Minute and here to tell us about expected ERA for pitchers, analyst Ryan Bloomfield. This week on the Metric Minute, we're taking a look at expected earned run average, or XCRA as we often call it on BaseballHQ.com and here on Baseball HQ Radio. XERA is essentially a metric that attempts to replicate ERA strictly from a skills-dependent perspective. So XERA takes into account many of the metrics we've already discussed on the Metric Minute this season. Specifically, XERA takes into account dominance or strikeouts per nine, a pitcher's control walks per nine, as well as their ground ball and fly ball rates are all taken into account for the XERA formula. Uh, One important distinction with XERA is that, again, it's based only on the pitcher's skills. So it's not what we call situation-dependent. Things like bullpen support, park factors, and defense are not considered in XERA. Um, ERA obviously takes these factors into account. So it's not supposed to replicate XERA completely. Um, XERA is only used to predict what the ERA should be um, based only on those pitchers' skills. So the optimal approach here is to really use both gauges as a range of expectations for forecasting purposes. Uh, Variances between ERA and XERA less than maybe a half run should typically be discounted, Um, but larger variances over a full run per game, for example, um, can be regarded as an indicator for future change for that pitcher. Um, A couple examples already from 2014, some of the wider variances that we've seen. Uh, First off is David Price. On the surface has a 427 ERA, um, but his XERA is in great shape, 3.04. Uh, Price is actually putting up the best skills of his career. He's got a 168 
BPV or base performance value, which would be the, the tops for him for his career. So hang on to price. There's going to be a rebound there. Um, Homer Bailey's another guy. ERA just a tick over five, but XERA says he's been a much better pitcher. 365 expected earn run average. A couple guys who have been a little bit better than their XERA so far. The ageless Mark Burley has, has a 210 ERA, incredible start with Toronto. Um, but his XERA is almost two full runs higher than that. Um, his XERA is over four runs per game. So obviously we're not expecting Burley to uh, to continue this type of run. Um, Julio Tehran's another guy, ERA under two, um, XERA 369. Tehran's actually featured in National League Fact Flute column this week on BaseballHQ.com, so you can get more information as to why um, that XERA is higher than his surface stats. So XERA is listed on player link pages on BaseballHQ.com. It's a great metric that we commonly use uh, when analyzing pitcher performances to see if the skills are matching the, uh, the surface stats. So for this week for Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Analyst Ryan Bloomfield writes regularly for BaseballHQ.com and talks about the various BaseballHQ.com site metrics and how to use them every Tuesday here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now it's the Minor League Minute, and with a look at prospects who might be under the radar in your league, but nonetheless worth a look, here's BaseballHQ.com Minor Leagues Analyst Rob Gordon. In this week's edition of the Minor League Minute, we take a look at a handful of prospects who might have an impact in the second half of the 2014 season. We've already seen a number of elite prospects called up, including the Cardinals' Oscar Deveros, who had an impressive home run in his debut, the Astros' George Springer, who already has 10 home runs, the Blue Jays' Marcus Stroman, and the Rangers' Rognev Odur, among others. Other elite prospects such as the Cubs' Chris Bryant, the Mariners' Taiwan Walker, and the Pirates' Gregory Polanco will also be called up soon, but they've been covered extensively and are already likely owned in all but the shallowest of formats. Instead, this week we focus on five slightly lesser-known prospects who could make an impact in the second half. The first player in our list is the Texas Rangers' Luke Jackson. The 22-year-old Jackson has a plus mid-90s fastball and mixes in a power curveball and a changeup that remains somewhat inconsistent. Jackson has shown improved control this year, and in 10 starts with AA Frisco, he's 6-2 with a 2.80 ERA. He's walked just 15 while striking out 61, which is a pretty good ratio, and has limited opposing hitters to an impressive 192 batting average against. With the Rangers' starting rotation devastated by injuries, it would not be surprising to see Jackson in the majors very soon. With the Baltimore Orioles right in the thick of the AL East race, they can use all the offensive production they can get. One important source of potential power could be Cuban-born prospect Dariel Alvarez. The 25-year-old Alvarez has been tearing up the Eastern League and on the year is hitting 330 with 17 doubles and 10 home runs in just 215 at-bats. Alvarez is somewhat of a free swinger and he's walked just five times, but he also makes consistent contact and has plus power and could really be a boost to the Orioles lineup. The Miami Marlins have been surprisingly competitive this year, but with the loss of Jose Fernandez for the rest of the season, the club might be forced to call on top prospect Andrew Heaney. The 22-year-old Heaney is one of the better left-handed pitching prospects in the minors and comes after hitters with a good low 90s fastball, a hard late-breaking slider, and an above-average changeup. He locates all three offerings well, and in 10 starts between AA and AAA, Heaney is 5-2 with a very nice 2.09 ERA. He's walked just 21 while striking out 66, and has limited opposing hitters to a 219 batting average against. The Phillies are currently mired in last place in the NL East, but are just five games behind the front-running Braves. The back end of the Phillies' rotation is far from overpowering, and the club could really use prospect Jesse Biddle. The 22-year-old Bill has a decent low 90s fastball, a plus 12-6 curveball, and a changeup that's improved this year. In 11 starts for AA reading, Biddle is 3-5 with a 3.14 ERA. He's walked 26 while striking out 64 in 63 innings pitched. Finally, one player who might be a long shot but has impressive offensive potential is the Boston Red Sox Mookie Betts. The 5'9", 160-pound Betts has been an offensive dynamo since the middle of 2013. In 53 games with AA Portland this year, Betts is hitting 362 with a surprising 562 slugging percentage. He also has 34 walks versus just 19 strikeouts and has 22 stolen bases in 25 attempts. Betts is clearly stuck behind all-star second baseman Dustin Pedroia, but he looks major league ready and could be called upon if Pedroia's hand injury proves more significant than initially thought. 
For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. That's a terrific report by Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob, Jeremy Deloney, Colby Garropy, Chris Maloney, Nick Richards, Matthew St. Germain, and Brent Hershey have reports and updates on top prospects, organizational moves, daily call-ups reports, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week, Rob and Jeremy preview the 2014 Amateur Draft. BaseballHQ.com's call-up reports this week have looked at Boston third baseman Garen Caccini. Miami catcher J.T. Real Muto and others. And you also want to check the minor league watch list, highlighting more of those less heralded prospects who have a path to the majors. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com is the place to turn. Hey, that's Baseball HQ Radio, the Tuesday Tout Edition for June the 3rd. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 39 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our featured guest expert on this Tuesday edition, USA Today Senior Fantasy Editor Steve Gardner. Steve does a great job with all the fantasy sports at USA Today and usatoday.com. I also want to thank our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Analyst Ryan Bloomfield was our Metric Minute commentator. Rob Gordon had the Minor League Minute. I'm Patrick Davitt. This Friday, I'll have a facts and flukes spotlight going in-depth on Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Zach Greinke. Of course, I always hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes to add to our 4.8 star rating. Also, check out Baseball HQ on Facebook. And we have a Twitter feed, at Baseball HQ. And of course, feel free to follow my personal Twitter account, at Patrick Davitt. You'll always find out right away what's going on with Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our News and Notes edition featuring League Watch News reports, Todd Zola, pitcher matchups, and master notes. And next Tuesday, it'll be another Tuesday Tout edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.